This is the third part in our study of Psalm 105, Rejoicing in the Works of God. Psalm 105, Rejoicing in the Works of God. As we review this psalm, you'll recall that uh, the psalm is, is focusing on God's works on behalf of his people. Particularly, he's focusing from Abraham through the conquest of Canaan. This is interesting because in the previous psalms, we were focusing on the, God's work in creation. Now we're seeing God's work in Israel's history. And so, we're going to move our way through Genesis and Exodus, uh, and even into a little bit of uh, the book of Joshua, as the psalmist uh, recalls God's work in the history of his people. Now, as he rejoices in God's work, he's reminded of why God works on behalf of his people, because he remembers his promises. And so, we looked in verses 1 through 7 at the call, the call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servants, O son of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And then we recall the covenant in verses 8 through 15. He has remembered his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When there were only a few men in number, very few, and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. And then we considered the God's care in verses 16 to 23. And he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions, to imprison his princes at will, that he might teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, and thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And then we note the calamity, the calamity, verses 24 to 36. And he caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant, and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his wondrous acts among them, and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came a swarm of flies and gnats in all their territory. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck down their vines also and their fig trees and shattered the trees of their territory. He spoke and locusts came and young locusts, even without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He also struck down all the firstborn in their land. 
the first fruits of all their vigor. And that brings us now to the final section of Psalm 105. And that's comfort. You know, as as we are called to worship, we're called to worship and reflect on what God has done. And we see God's covenant that he made with his people and reminded of the covenant we have with him, the new covenant, the covenant in which he redeems us uh, from eternal damnation in the lake of fire, that covenant in which he becomes our God, that covenant in which he writes his law upon his heart, that covenant in which he gives us his spirit to indwell us and gives us a new name and a new heart. And so we take comfort in that. We're reminded of God's care, his providential care for his people, how he intercedes on their behalf, and how he does great and mighty things for them. And so he does for us as well. God cares for us. And then we looked at the calamities. And, you know, so often when calamity comes into our life, we don't think that it's God. We think that some evil has befallen us. But consider for a moment that perhaps the calamities entering our life are from the hand of God. And that perhaps God is using that calamity to move and direct us to the place where we can be prepared to receive the blessings of his plan. God used those calamities to move Israel from Egypt to the land of Canaan, to the place where they could receive their Canaan rest. And so we need to reevaluate our assessment of calamity. And certainly calamity is difficult, and certainly calamity is not uh, wonderful. Nobody wants to sign up for calamity. But when calamity happens, we need to step back and see how God's hand is at work and how he is using these things to accomplish his plan for his glory and the good of his people. And so in all of that, we can take comfort. And so in verses 37 to 45, the psalmist speaks of comfort. He deals in verse 37 to 41 with their emancipation, and then in verses 42 to 45 with their establishment. So let's recap verse 37 to 41. Then he brought them out with silver and gold. Okay, they're coming out of Egypt. And among his tribes there was not one who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to illumine by night. They asked, and he brought a quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water flowed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Now, one of the interesting things here is the psalmist makes no mention of the grumblings of God's people. Uh, And again, it's not that he's ignoring that they grumbled, but he's establishing what God is doing. The focus is on what God has done. God brought them out with silver and gold. Uh, God kept it so none of them stumbled. Uh, God provided them quail. God satisfied them with bread. God opened the rock and water flowed out. So let's begin back in verse 37. God brings Israel out with silver and gold. Silver and gold were precious metals uh, during those days, just as they are today. Taking their spoils with them, according to Exodus 12 and verse 36, uh, they plundered the Egyptians. Now, the text tells the Egyptians were just telling them, take whatever you want, just get out of here. Because they were acknowledging this God of the Israelites is afflicting us. He's caused these calamities. And so God's people flee with the uh, treasures of Egypt. Also notice that they're healthy when they leave. Among his tribes, there was not one who stumbled. You know, when the children of Israel left, nobody 
was leaving sick. Nobody was stumbling. Nobody was lagging behind. God miraculously gave them health to get them out of the land, to leave no one behind, to cross the Red Sea, to get into Sinai, and to begin to prepare for the journey to the promised land. Now, there's an interesting statement here because he pictures Egypt as exalting or glad when Israel departed. Uh, And that is a true statement. Because they, they, they realized, okay, we're in fear because of these people. So we these people leave, we're glad. Now that speaks nothing of the fact that Pharaoh turned around and tried to pursue them. And of course we know that foolhardy uh, Aaron and ended in a drowning. So God leads his people. He leads them by a cloud by day and fire by night. And of course, this is the Shekinah glory that is leading God's people. So by lighting their path day and night... They didn't need to stop. They could keep traveling as long as possible. Uh, when, when they were hungry, they cried out and God gave them quail, Numbers 12.31. Uh, he also gave them manna or bread of heaven, Exodus 16.4. Uh, when they were thirsting and they were in a place where there was only bitter water, uh, God gave them water from a rock, Exodus 17. And so picture Israel. They're leaving Egypt rich and healthy, full provisions, and as he brings them into the wilderness, God continues to provide for his people. Uh, He's emancipated them, uh, but he's also comforting them. He has set them free, but he's not leaving them to their own devices. You know, consider that Israel was saved from Egypt, from the bondage of pagan worship, they were saved, and they were, what purpose were they saved for? Were they just saved to wander in the wilderness? No, God's purpose was to bring them to their Canaan rest. You know, it's the same for us. God has saved us, not from Egypt, but from sin. He has set us free from paganism, but he also has a purpose for us, and that purpose is to bring us to our Canaan rest. And you want to explore more of that, uh, check out uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 as it deals with uh, the Canaan rest uh, for Israel and the Canaan rest for the church. But certainly God didn't just save us to leave us here to wander around. He has a purpose. Now verse 42 to 45, he remembered his holy word with Abraham his servant. He brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor so that he might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So we ask the question, and what we're seeing, well, before we ask the question, let's uh, see what we're dealing with here. Establishment, okay? Emancipation. And now, establishment. He's bringing them into the land. And, of course, they're comforted not only in being set free, but they're comforted in coming to the land. Now, he's jumping a 40-year gap here. Because we know that because of the, of the sin of the rebellion of that generation that came out of Egypt, they all wandered in the wilderness until they died. And that second generation is the one that possessed uh, the, the Canaan rest, if you will. So he remembered his word, his holy word with Abraham, his servant. Why does God keep the patriarchs in their wandering? Why did he provide for Israel in the famine? Why did he bring them down to Egypt? Why did he bring them up out of Egypt? The answer is he remembered his holy word. Now, his word of holiness is a reference to his covenant that he had made with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. 
God remembers his covenants. We ought to be thankful for that because we have uh, a part in that new covenant. God is going to remember that. God will not forsake us. God will not abandon us. He promised to be our God and he will be our God. And he will do whatever it takes to comfort his people because he remembers his word of holiness. God is true to what he says and, and what he says, he keeps it. And he, what he promises to do, he will do. What may look like a delay, what may seem like a defeat, is not. Certainly when they wandered, they thought, why is God delaying? Certainly when they were imprisoned, why are we defeated? But that wasn't the case. They were just temporary stops along the journey. God was still being faithful to his promise and using those calamities. Again, as we see in verse 43, his people came out with joy, with exaltation. Uh, there was gladness, literally a joyful shout or a ringing cry, the pealing of a bell. Uh, remember the words of Moses there in Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him. He's my father's God and I will exalt them. That's what the people were shouting and singing as they left Egypt. And then God brought them to the land of the Gentiles. He brought them to the lands of the nations, the Canaanites, and they inherited the labor of the nations. You know, they took possession of the fruit of the people there. When Israel came to the promised land, they didn't have to start farming. There was already crops ready to be harvested. Everything they needed was prepared. They just needed to come in and take it. You know, and, you know, you might think, well, you know, how's that fair? Well, that's God's justice, okay? God had given the Canaanites 440 years to repent of their sins and to, to worship God. And yet in those 440 years, they rebelled and they refused and they rejected. it. And so here comes Israel. And again, God remembers his word and he brings them to a land that's fully outfitted Already cities built, already places to live, already farms being farmed, already grains and fruits and vegetables ready to be harvested. It was all there for the taking. Why? Why did God prepare all this? So that when they came into the land of promise, they could begin to observe his statutes. That word observe means to preserve or protect. They could protect his law and they could keep his laws which, interesting, laws means instructions, revelation. And the word keep is obey. So he saves them, not just to give them a cane and rest, but the other side of his purpose was for them to be obedient. And, you know, when we think about why did Christ save us, so we would be obedient. He saved us to obey his Father, to obey him. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 God calls us to our Canaan rest, not so that we can be lazy, not so we can be sit around and be fat cats, but he brings us to the Canaan rest. He gives us all the provisions that we need so that there's no excuse for us not to love him, serve him, and obey him. Psalm 105, a very brief 
uh, retelling of Israel's history. But, you know, we've been told to recall their history. And here the psalmist is doing just that. And as he does, he recalls the mighty acts of God. As he remembers what God has done, it causes him to rejoice in God's work. And so I challenge you to take a moment each and every day to reflect back on what God has done for his people. Perhaps what he's done for Israel. Perhaps what he's done for the church. Perhaps what he's done for you in your life. And as you reflect back on what God has done, rejoice and give God the praise. Indeed, praise the Lord. Father God, we thank and praise you to come and have another opportunity to open your word and to engage in it. As we pray, Lord, we pray not in our own strength or power, but in the power of Jesus. And so we come to you in his, uh, in his name, according to his will, according to his character, Father. Lord, we give you the praise for your mighty works, your wondrous works that you have performed for your people up until this very day. Whether it's in the people of Israel, whether it's the church, or whether it's in our own lives, God, you have worked mightily. And we want to stop and give you the praise. We want to reflect upon those acts, those mighty wonders, Father, and give you the glory. Lord, those things didn't happen because we were special or we did something on our own, but because you are you the unique one and you work for your people. Father, we confess and ask forgiveness, Father, for when we fail to stop and reflect on who you are and what you've done, whether it's in creation or history. And so, Father, forgive us. And now, Lord, I pray that you would direct us and guide us, help us to see your plan. Father, when we get to those periods of delay and even defeat, help us not to be discouraged, but help us to know that that's part of your plan and that, Lord, your plan entails bringing us to the place of rest and the place that we can serve you best. And so, Father, may we continue to obey you. May we continue to serve you today and forever. Amen.